بسم الله والحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله. Still with Zad al-Mustaqna, with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Kitab al-Jana'is, in, in the book of Funerals. Uh, today we're with the author Imam al-Hajjawi, may Allah have mercy upon him, where he says, Faslun, section. And this section is pertaining to the carrying uh, of the janazah itself and the burial, the actual burial of the janazah. So in this section he says, That it's sunnah to make tarbi' when the janazah is being carried. So the janazah is carried on a na'ash, on a bed of some sort, okay? Uh, the dead person is carried on this. And if you can imagine that this na'ash may have four handles, two at the front, two at the back, okay? Uh, handles sticking out. So, tarbi' here, what the author is referring to, tarbi' is that the uh, person starts on the left handle at the front and he puts this on his right shoulder. Okay, the left handle on the front, he puts this on his right shoulder. And then he goes to the back of the nash, the back of the funeral bed uh, that is carrying the corpse, and he puts the left uh, the left stick on his right shoulder. After having done that for some time, he then goes back to the front and he goes to the right hand side of the, the funeral bed and he puts the stick on his right shoulder. He puts the left stick on his right shoulder. And then he goes to the back. He goes to the back of the uh, Nash and he puts the right stick on his left shoulder, okay? So again, the funeral bed, what he did, the person that was carrying the Jinazah, whoever's carrying the jinnahs, what they do, okay, that they start off at the front and they start off with the, the left, the left side and they put it on their uh, right shoulder. Then they go to the back left side and they put that on their right shoulder. Then they swap over and they go to the front right and they put the front right on their left shoulder. Then they go to the back of the funeral bed and they put the back onto their, the back right onto their left shoulder. This is known as tarbiyah. So the person uh, carrying the funeral bed moves around in that direction as I described to you. Uh, of course, Sheikh Sami ibn Abdurrahman and others, they said, of course, if it's busy and it's going to be problematic to do something, then there's no need to do it. You can carry it in any way that you want to do so. The author, he also says, And it's permitted that a person uh, can come in between the two holding sticks and put them both on his shoulders. So he can be in between them and he can rest the holding sticks of the funeral bed uh, between his shoulders and he can carry it in that manner if he wishes to do so. Uh, the author, he says, may Allah have mercy upon him, and it's um, highly recommended, it's sunnah, that the funeral procession is done in a quick married manner, is carried in a quick manner. We have in the hadith in Bukhari Muslim from Abu Harir radiallahu anhu who narrated that the Prophet said Asri'u bil janazati Be quick and hasty with the janazah Fa'in taku salihatan fa'khayrun tuqaddimunaha For verily if that is a righteous soul that you are carrying then you are carrying it towards good that is awaiting this righteous soul Wa'in yaku siwa thalik fa'sharun tada'unahu an riqabikum And if it's other than that meaning that it's an evil soul then it's an evil that you are removing from your necks So be quick with regards to the janazah. The controlling factor or the determining rule of what is quickness 
and haste pertaining to the carrying of the funeral that you walk as fast as you can but not to the extent where it will be as fast as you would do the ramal you know the ramal that you do in the tawaf in the parts where you go around the Kaaba quickly you shouldn't reach to that uh, speed and this Dabit, this controlling rule was described by Majd ibn Taymiyyah so the funeral should be done should procession should be quickly but it shouldn't be quickly to the extent that it's like ramal and nor should there be any harm uh, for the dead corpse which is being carried because of course if you go too quickly uh, the corpse can possibly fall off or something could come out of the dead body the author he says and it's recommended that the ones who are walking in the funeral procession they be in front of the corpse and the rukban the ones that are riding they be behind the corpse question to yourselves why is it recommended that the riders they be behind the corpse what is the illa what is the reasoning what is the wisdom maybe for the riders to be behind the corpse in the funeral procession so the ulama may have mercy upon them they say from the wisdoms of having the rukban the riders behind the funeral procession is that of course the riding beasts they're going to kick up dust and it will cause dust to be all over the corpse all over the mushat all over those who are walking so the ones who are walking they should be in front and the rukban the ones that are on the riding beasts they should be at the back as mentioned by Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr and others Imam Ibn Qudam in his book Al-Kafi he mentioned that those on foot the mushat they have a choice where to be as keeping people in one place according to his opinion is going to be difficult okay so this is uh, further corroborated by the or, or further um, proven by the uh, strengthened by the hadith in the Tirmidhi which was narrated by Mughir ibn Shu'bah where the Prophet sallallahu said okay the raqib the rider should be behind the janazah while the mashi and the mashi the ones who are walking they should be uh, behind it or in front of it or on the right of it or on the left of it and close to it or far from it okay so this hadith in Tirmidhi was used by Ibn Qudam al-Maqtasi and others who said that the mushat the ones that are walking they can walk wherever they wish to in the funeral procession they don't have to be in the front because keeping them in the front keeping them in one place may be difficult a mas'ala to mention here, an issue to mention here is that those who are following the funeral procession or those in the funeral procession, they should not raise their voices even with dhikr. Okay, they should not raise their voices even with dhikr. And Imam Ibn Taymiyyah was from those who said that this is a bid'ah, this is an innovation. And we have a narration uh, collected by Imam Al-Bayhaqi which was authentic from Qais Ibn Abad who said, كان أصحاب رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يكرهون رفع صوت عند الجنازة that the companions of the Prophet وسلم, they used to dislike that people in the funeral procession would raise their voices وعند القتال and also when fighting is taking place in jihad the raising of the voices was disliked وعند الذكر and also when making dhikr so Imam Bayhaqi narrates this author which shows that the companions عنهم, would dislike to raise their voices in the funeral procession another mas'ala is that the majority of the ulama including the Hanabila they hold that it's makroo for a woman to follow the janazah so we have the hadith in Sahih Muslim for example of Umm Atiyah radiyallahu anha 
which he said nuhina an ittiba' al-janaiz nuhina an ittiba' al-janaiz we were forbidden or prevented from following the funeral processions walam yu'zam alayna however it wasn't made a strictly forbidden thing upon us uh, it's makru it wasn't taken to the level of being haram okay the author he says and it's disliked, the author says, it's disliked for the people that are following the procession to sit until the body has been placed on the ground. Not necessarily in the grave, but placed on the ground ready for burial. So it's disliked to sit down if you're following the procession until the body has been placed on the ground. So we have the hadith in Bukhari and Muslim to show this. The hadith of Abi Sa'id a hadith marfu' where the Prophet said If you are following a funeral procession then do not sit until this funeral procession has been until the, until the corpse has been placed on the ground A mas'ala to mention and alhamdulillah we, we try to mention as many mas'ala as we can A mas'ala to mention is that if you have a janazah that is passing you by however you are not following the janazah the janazah is passing by in front of you, then it's makru to stand up for this janazah according to all four of the madhahib. Okay, it's makru to stand up for the janazah if the janazah is passing in front of you. However, Imam Ibn Taymiyyah and Imam Ibn Qayyim, two Imams from the Hanbali Madhab, as mentioned by Sheikh Sami Ibn Abdurrahman, he said that it's, they, they held that it's mustahab. Why did they hold that it's mustahab? Because we have the hadith uh, narrated by Jabir radiallahu anhu that the Prophet is narrated that a janazah passed by the Prophet and so the Prophet stood up for it and we also the companions stood up for it and we said O Prophet of Allah, O Messenger of Allah verily this is a janazah belonging or the janazah of a Jewish person so the Prophet said, Verily, if you see a funeral procession, then stand up for it. So this, according to Ibn Taymiyyah and Ibn Qayyim, is something which is recommended to do. However, as we mentioned, the madhab and the majority of the ulama, they said it's something which is makruh to do. The author, he says, Okay, This issue here, is referring to that when the woman is going to be buried at the time of her being placed into the grave then a sheet is placed around her grave a sheet or a cover of some sort is placed around her grave to give extra barrier to give an extra sitter so that um, nothing can be seen from her body okay extra protection for her and this is something which is mustahab ijma'an that this consensus that this is something which is recommended as mentioned by Imam uh, Ibn Qudami in Al-Mughni uh, volume 2 page 373 okay so the hikmah from it annahu astar laha that it gives more sitr it gives more cover and more protection the author he says walahdu afdalu min ash-shaq that the lahad is better than the shaq so the lahad is that when the grave is being dug then on the side of the grave if the ground's composition allows for this to take place and then on the side of the grave inside the grave to the side of it facing towards the qibla uh, at a slant uh, a burial space is made so you dig the grave 
and also to the side of the grave facing towards the Qibla you have a slant going in where the body is going to be pushed in so on the side of the grave slanting in you're going to have a space like uh, a chamber where the body is going to be pushed in Lahad is better why because that uh, is what was chosen for the Prophet and Shaq Shaq uh, which he said that the lahad is better than the shaq. So what is a shaq? A shaq is that in the middle of the grave, uh, so you dig a grave and around the middle of it, you dig an extra compartment where the body is to be placed. Okay, so the lahad is an extra compartment on the side of the grave, leading into the grave where the body is pushed in. And a shaq is that it is made in the bottom of the grave. Okay, and this is in fact something which is makru in the madhab without need. The author he says, Rahimullah Ta'ala, and the one or the ones who are entering the body into the grave, they say, Bismillahi wa ala millati Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this can be found in the hadith collected by Imam al Hakim in his Mustadrak, who said that it's Sahih. Okay, narrated for Ibn Umar radiallahu anhuma, and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Kana ida udhkhil al mayyit al qabr. قال بسم الله وبالله وعلى ملة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم وقال مرة بسم الله وبالله وعلى سنة رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم when the body would be placed into the ground placing the body into the ground the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would say in the name of Allah with the name of Allah and with Allah and on the Milla on the way of the message of Allah صلى الله عليه وسلم and he said one time uh, with the name of Allah and with Allah and upon the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. So you can either say Bismillahi wa billahi wa ala millati Rasulillahi sallallahu or you can say Bismillahi wa billahi wa ala sunnati Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this statement uh, where the author he said that the one who is uh, putting the body into the ground he says Bismillah and upon the way upon the milla of the Rasul ﷺ, is not to be said but other than those putting the body into the ground. So those who are gathered around and they are not actually involved in descending the body into the ground, they are not to say this uh, dhikr as mentioned by Sheikh Sami ibn Abdurrahman. Uh, the ones to lower the body into the ground are the ones that are mentioned in the wasiyah of the dead person. If, if in the wasiyah of the dead person, the wasi, uh, in the will of the dead person, somebody's mentioned a name to be from those who should lower the body into the grave, then that is the first and foremost person that should do so. If not, then it should be the relatives. And both of these are with the condition that they know how to do so. They know how to uh, actually put the body properly into the ground uh, and they know the things that should be said, the dhikr, etc. that should be said. If they do not know that, then anybody can lower the body into the ground. And also a masala to mention here, that it's not a condition that the woman should be lowered into the ground by her maharim, by her uh, close relatives. However, that of course is something which is highly recommended, but it's not something which is conditional. The author says, And the body is put into the luhud, into that gap which is on the side of the grave, and he's put on his right hand side. He's put into that compartment uh, by being on his right. And the dalil or the evidence for this is qiyasuhu ala naim that they make qiyas analogy upon the one who is sleeping. So of course the sunnah for the uh, one who is sleeping is that he should be on his right hand side. So this is how 
the body is put into the luhud that he's put on the right hand side and this is how the salaf al-salih radiallahu anhum it was reported that they would do and it's something which was done from the time of the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam however if he was put on his left side then there's no problem in that but it's khilaf al-afdal it's khilaf al-awla it's uh, going against that which is better to do so the author he says mustaqbil al-qibla and when the body is put into the grave it should be facing the qibla Okay, and this is something which is wajib in the madhab, this is something which is obligatory, that the, uh, the face of the person is facing the qibla. Uh, we have the hadith in Abi Dawood where the Prophet sallallahu said, uh, Baytul Haram, Al-Baytul Haram, Qiblatukum ahya'an wa amwatan, that the Kaaba is your qibla whether you are alive or dead, whether you are alive or dead. Another mas'ala to mention here, is that uh, once the body has been placed into the ground, the people, especially the close relatives and the righteous, they should stay a while after the burial has taken place. Imam al-Hakim, he collects, and Imam Nawi, Jawada Sanad, Imam Nawi said that the, had, uh, that the Sanad, the chain of narration for this hadith is good, uh, that Uthman radiallahu anhu, he narrates about the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. كان النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم إذا فرغ من دفن الميت وقف عليه that the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم once he had completed and finished the burial of the dead person he would stand upon the grave not on the grave but over the grave stand close to the grave for a while فقال استغفروا استغفروا لأخيكم وصلوا له التثبيت فإنه الآن يسأل seek forgiveness for your brother and ask that he is made firm in this time because verily now he's being asked questions by the angels. So it is a very difficult time for the dead and this very uh, crucial juncture in the journey of the dead person. It's recommended that the people, they stay behind and they make dua and they seek forgiveness for the dead person. Uh, also a mas'ala to mention here that it's permitted to make talqeen to the dead after the burial as mentioned by Sheikh Hamad Al-Hamad and others that uh, it's uh, permissible, it's mubah, it's permitted to make talqeen that people can say, it can be said to the dead person, قُلْ لَا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ Say لَا إِلَهِ اللَّهِ And it will be said to the dead person, uh, be firm at this time, or words to that effect. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, وَيُرْفَعُ الْقَبْرَ عَنِ الْأَرْضِ قَدْرَ شِبْرٍ And that the situation pertaining to the grave itself is that it should be to the height of a... Uh, of the, the height of a shibr and no more. Shibr is roughly a hand span or so and it shouldn't be higher than that, okay? Uh, not more than a shibr. Imam Bayhaqi and Ibn Hiban and uh, Shaykh Al-Albani ta'ala said that the hadith is hasan. Uh, the Prophet is narrated by Jabir radiallahu anhu and the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam rufi'a qabrahu min al-ard nahwa min al-shibr that the grave of the Prophet وسلم, was raised above the earth to close to the height of a shibr. And as we said, a shibr is close to being a hand's length. And we know also the famous hadith in Sahih Muslim where Ali radiallahu anhu mentions how he was sent by the Prophet وسلم, on a mission. And part of that mission was that any raised grave that Ali radiallahu anhu was commanded that he bring it down to its base level. Okay. So the grave is to be raised to the qadr, to the height of a shibr. Uh, the author, he says, musannaman, that it's recommended that the grave is musannaman. Musannaman is like it should be in the shape of camel hump. So it's rounded off, that the grave is rounded off like so, in the shape of a camel hump. In Bukhari, we have the hadith 
where Sufyan al-Tammar radiallahu anhum he says that he saw the grave of the Prophet Musannaman. He saw the grave of the Prophet and its shape was such that it was like a camel's hump. It's also permissible for it to be laid flat. However, again, this is khilaf al-awla. This is going against that which is preferred and better. The author, may Allah have mercy upon him, he says, And it's disliked to make tajsis of the qabr, which I'll explain in a moment what does this mean. However, Shaykh Abdul Salam al-Shuwayr, Hafidahullah Ta'ala, he said that the kiraha here, the dislike here is kiraha to tahrimi. Is that a dislike? Or at the level of being haram, okay? It's at the level of being haram, it's just, it's not only makruh, it's at the level of being haram. So to make tajsis of the qabr is haram. Tajsis huwa an yada al jas ala al qabr fayutallihi bihi liyubayyada. That tajsis, it is to put a type of clay or something of that nature upon the grave, and it generally has a white color and it would end up having the grave looking as though it's been decorated with a shiny material. So this is tajseez which is uh, forbidden. And in the hadith in Sahih Muslim, we have the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam as narrated by Jabir, نَهَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمْ أَنْ يُجَصِّصَ الْقَبْرِ وَأَنْ يُقْعَدَ عَلَيْهِ وَأَنْ, وأن يُبْنَ عَلَيْهِ that is narrated by Jabir radiallahu anhu who said that the Prophet ﷺ forbade that tajseez, like we said, plastering uh, with a white type of clay material on the graves is forbidden, as is sitting on the grave, as is building upon the grave, as mentioned in Sahih Muslim, narrated by Jabir radiallahu anhu. So we find, wherever you look in the Muslim world, sadly, you find that shaitan has misguided many people with regards to the graveyards and the graves. Shaitan, he's been successful in beautifying the graves in the minds of people whereby they go beyond the limits that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has set and they make the graves more important than they are and he takes them away from the original purpose of the grave which is to remember the hereafter and to seek forgiveness for the people who are dead in the graveyards rather shaitan has made people decorate the graves beyond what they should be and he's made it a place where people go and they do all types of impermissible innovation and haram acts pertaining to the graves and the dead therein. So the Prophet ﷺ, he forbade tajseez of the qabr and building upon the qabr and other things so that people wouldn't fall into these traps of shaitan. However, people have become ignorant and they have fallen into these traps in their millions. So the author, he says also, وَالْبَنَاءُ Bana'u also is held to be makru by the author. However, uh, tafseel is given here. Further information is given as mentioned by Sheikh Fahad al-Mutiri who says that if the graveyard is khas, if the graveyard is a specific graveyard for a family or a tribe, a family let's say, then they have the right to build something over the grave. However, if it's a graveyard which is am, if it's a general graveyard for the public in general, and it's not specific to a family, then nothing can be built upon the grave whatsoever. However, many of the latter uh, ulama, the ulama of today, they say in both cases, it's, uh, it's better to take the ruling that it's haram to build anything upon the graves. Because obviously in the early times of the Prophet Wasallam and the graves of the companions, عنهم, nothing was ever found built upon the graves of the companions. Also, the author, he says, and inscription upon the graves is something which is makruh according to the author, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. Shaykh Uthaymeen Rahimahullah Ta'ala in Riyadh Salihin, his explanation of Riyadh Salihin, 
he mentions that uh, if it's writing, if the intention behind the writing is just to leave a mark of the name of the person to show who the person is in this grave, then that is permissible. However, it's, if it's beyond that, like writing verses of the Quran or writing praise for the dead person, uh, praising how the dead person was, then this is something which is absolutely forbidden. The author he says, وَالْجُلُوسِ وَالْوَطْعُ عَلَيْهِ And also something which is makruh is to sit upon the uh, grave, to sit upon the grave and uh, to stand upon the grave. Both of these issues are uh, impermissible. Makruh or if you take the other opinion, uh, forbidden. In Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu marfu'an, the Prophet sallallahu said, لِأَنْ يَجْلِسَ أَحَدُكُمْ عَلَى جَمْرَةٍ that for one of you to sip, sit upon a hot coal for one of you to sit upon a hot cold and that this hot cold it burns his clothing and reaches his skin and burns his skin is better for you than to sit on a grave so of course the hadith is telling us that it's something which is uh, uh, what we have to stay away from Okay, however, the author hold it as being makruh, but many of the ulama they said that it's something which is haram. And ittika is to lean upon the grave. In uh, the narration collected by Imam Ahmad, where the Prophet saw Amr ibn Hazm, muttaki'an ala qabr, la that the Prophet saw this companion leaning on the grave. And then the Prophet ﷺ said, do not harm the person in the grave. Meaning, do not harm the grave by leaning on it. A masala to mention, an issue to mention, that it's makruh, it's disliked, to walk between the graves with shoes on. So if you enter into the graveyard, depending upon the composition of the ground, how, how the graveyard is, then it's highly recommended that you should take your shoes off, okay, unless there is a need. The author, he says, وَيَحْرُمُ فِيهِ دَفْنُ إِثْنَيْنِ فَأَكْثَرِ it's haram, it's impermissible to have two or more people in one grave. Imam Tirmidhi narrates in the hadith, uh, which is collected the hadith, which is narrated by Hisham ibn Amir, where he said, Radiallahu anhu, Lamma kana yawm uhud usiba min man usiba min al muslimin. On the day of uhud, those from amongst the Muslims who were killed were killed. فَقُلْنَا يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ So we said, O oh, Message of Allah, الْحَفْرُ عَلَيْنَا لِكُلِّ إِنسَانٍ شَدِيدٍ O Message of Allah, for us to bury each dead individually in a grave is very difficult upon us. فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ So the Prophet said, اِحْفِرُوا وَأَعْمِقُوا وَأَحْسِنُوا The Prophet said, dig and go deep and do well in the digging and the burial of the dead. And go ahead and bury two or three in one grave. They said, O Messenger of Allah, who shall we put forth first into the grave? The Prophet put first into the grave the one amongst them that has most Quran. So here we're discussing the point that the Prophet, that the author is saying that it's forbidden to put more than one person into the grave. And the way that the ulama who held this opinion understood this from this narration is because the companions radiallahu anhum, they asked the Prophet وسلم, okay? So كان مقرر in the hum, it was known with them that each person 
should be in, in his own grave. However, they said to the Prophet ﷺ, Ya Rasulullah, it's difficult for us to put in this situation on the day of Uhud, each person in his own grave. So the Prophet ﷺ gave them permission to go ahead and to put more than one body into the grave. The author he says, إِلَّا Except for a need. Unless there's a need, okay, as we described in the hadith before, the author is saying, if there's a need, then you can put, it's not haram for you to put more than one body into a grave. What is the fiqh rule that we've taken a few times to show that in the cases of necessity, then the haram is lifted? Of course, it has other rules, but the general fiqh rule that we've mentioned from time to time. Who can remember what the fiqh rule is? That in cases of necessity, the tahrim is lifted. Barakallah feek wa ahsanallah ilayk. Jazakallah khair. Exactly. That the, um, the necessities, they permit that which is impermissible. But however, we have other rules like That it's only to the extent which is needed. Meaning you can't just open the door and in a situation of difficulty say that now the haram is permissible. No, it's only permissible to the extent by which it's definitely needed. Jazakallah khair. So the author, he said, except in a case of necessity, that more than one person can be buried in the grave. However, he said, However, in this situation, when more than one person is put into the grave, there should be a hajiz. There should be a barrier of soil between each of the dead people in that grave, as though to ensure that they have their own separate compartment in the grave, if this is possible to do so. Tayyib. The author he says, وَلَا تُكْرَهُ الْقِرَاءَةُ عَلَىٰ قَبْرِ And it's not disliked to have recitation of the Qur'an upon the grave. Ibn Umar, uh, عنه, there's an author which is authentic, as mentioned by Sheikh Ahmed Khalil, from him where he said that at the time of his death, that uh, over his grave, it should be read from the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah and the ending verses of Surah Al-Baqarah upon his grave. So those ulama who hold this opinion based upon the author of Ibn Umar and other evidences that they have, they mean specifically at the time of burial that Qur'an can be recited. They do not mean once the burial has been completed and time has passed. Not like the people of innovation they do, that they come time after time back to the grave to recite Qur'an. This is not allowed. Those who hold this opinion, like the author, what they mean is specifically when the body is being buried. Okay, soon after the body has been buried, then you can recite Quran and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. Another riwayah in the madhab is that it's not allowed. And they take this from the evidence in Sahih Muslim, where the Prophet ﷺ, as narrated by Abu Hurairah anhu, said, لا تجعلوا بيوتكم مقابر. Don't make your houses like the graveyards. إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانِ يَنْفِرُ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ الَّذِي تُقْرَأُوا فِيهِ سُورَةَ الْبَقْرَةِ Verily the shaytan, he runs away from a house, wherein Surah Al-Baqarah is read. So as though the Prophet ﷺ is saying in this hadith that you know, Surah Al-Baqarah is not going to be read in a house which is like a graveyard because the graveyards do not have the Qur'an read in them. Okay, So this is the istidlal, this is the way of uh, taking the evidence from the hadith for this other riwayah in the madhab that said that uh, recitation of the Qur'an is not permitted upon the grave. And Allah knows best. You know one thing I just want to quickly touch upon, a lot of people sadly who don't study fiqh in a traditional manner or with uh, a reputable sheikh that has studied in a traditional manner, 
They think that fiqh is you just take the opinion from a hadith uh, and because such and such sheikh has said that this opinion is the correct opinion, that's the end of the story. That's not how fiqh is concluded. Rather, fiqh, you have to be an expert in the Arabic language. You have to be an expert in the usul al-fiqh. You have to be an expert in fiqh itself. You have to be an expert in the ahkam of fiqh in the Quran. You have to be an expert in knowing what is ijma, what is consensus. You have to be an expert in knowing what is the grading of the ahadith. Otherwise, all you're doing is you're making taqlid. All you're doing is you're blindly following other people's opinions. Because you yourself don't have the ability to go into the details to know if this hadith was authentic in the first place. Meaning that you yourself don't know, all you're doing is reading that another person made the hadith authentic. But you yourself are not able to authenticate or make the hadith weak. So once you've realized this, you'll come to know that, look, fiqh is such a vast knowledge that needs to be studied step by step. And we shouldn't rush to make conclusions, assuming that everybody else is wrong, just if they don't follow the opinion that my particular sheikh has. So we should try to take it easy a bit in fiqh until we reach a level where we have the ability to distinguish properly between matters of fiqh. So that was just to be mentioned as a side point. Dorothy says, Any qurba, any righteous deed seeking Allah's pleasure which is done, and the intention of that deed is also that the thawab, that the reward reaches a dead Muslim, then that would benefit the dead Muslim. Why? Because obviously in the sunnah we have uh, evidences which show that there are certain acts of worship that benefit the dead after, after their death. Like for example, hajj can be made on behalf of the dead. Fasting can be done on behalf of the dead. Sadaqah can be done on behalf of the dead. Dua and istighfar, etc. etc. So the ulama who hold this opinion, they say that any good deed that you do, with the intention that the reward is given to the dead, then that will benefit them. They say, Then all of the other acts of worship are given the same ruling out of qiyas, out of analogy. Okay? Because there's nothing in the hadith to prevent this analogy. So for example, if you have in the hadith, that when the son of uh, Adam dies, then his actions are, are stopped, except for three. From a sadaqah, which is continue, and uh, from knowledge, and from knowledge which is uh, benefited by people after the person's death, and from waladun salih, and from a righteous child that makes dua for his parents. So the hadith mentions, and other hadith like it, acts of worship which can benefit the dead. However, in this hadith, they're not found that it's explicitly restricting to only these acts of worship. Okay? So that's the, why the ulama that hold this opinion, they say qiyas can be made with the other acts of worship. Just to mention that ihda thawab, ihda thawab, which is what this is, giving the reward to the dead, um, the ulama, all of them, they agree upon the following four acts that can be done. And the other acts outside of this are disagreed upon. So, sadaqah is agreed upon by all of the ulama, as is itq, as is freeing a slave, as is istighfar, as is seeking forgiveness, and as is hajj, as mentioned by Sheikh Ahmed al-Khalil, uh, Hafidhullah ta'ala. The author, he says, أَوْ حَيِّنْ نَفْعَهُ ذَلِكَ 
even if the person is alive uh, intending to do an act of worship so that reward can reach that person is also going to benefit him according to the uh, author's opinion however many of the uh, ulama they said that this is only for those who are in unable to do the acts of worship by themselves if a person is unable to do acts of worship by himself then another can intend that the reward of hajj for example is given to that person so it doesn't remove the obligation of hajj we're talking about the reward of hajj or any other act of worship for the living person according to those who hold this opinion however uh, if the people are able to do those acts of worship themselves then this type of uh, act of giving thawab of intending thawab to the living shouldn't be done why because it may make the people lazy and it may make them try to rely upon the righteous uh, that they know hoping that uh, they will do this action of ihda a thawab of gifting thawab uh, to them the author says mm-hmm. and it's sunnah that uh, for the bereaved for the family uh, that are in grief the family of the dead that food is made for them and sent to them imam ahmad and abi dawood they collect the hadith narrated by abdullah ibn ja'far who said lamma jaa na'yu ja'farin qala rasulullah sallallahu that when the death of ja'far radiyallahu anhu was mentioned and brought to the attention of the prophet sallallahu alaihi the prophet sallallahu said isna'u li ali ja'farin ta'am prepare for the family of ja'far food faqad atahum ma yashghaluhum for verily it has come to them that which is keeping them busy right the death of ja'far radiyallahu anhu was keeping them busy uh, the Hanabila, the Hanbali scholars, they said that this should be done for three days, that the Sunnah is to prepare food for the dead for three days. Okay? The author he says, And it's makru for the dead, for the family of the dead to prepare food for other people. So the Sunnah is that the people should prepare food for the family of the dead. Not as we found in many customs and many cultures today, that it's the family of the dead that are preparing food. Uh, for those who come to visit etc so we have a hadith collected by Imam Ahmad and Imam Ibn Majah and Imam Nawi said it's authentic in Al-Majmu' the hadith which uh, Jarir radiyallahu anhu he said kunna nara al-ijtima' ila ahli al-mayyid wa san'ata ta'am min an-niyaha we used to see us the companions that gathering upon the dead family or gathering around the dead family and uh, them making food for people was from niyaha was from the forbidden type of acts uh, like wailing etc etc which the prophet forbade so the hadith is clearly saying that uh, we used to see that gathering uh, around the dead and them making food for us is something which is we used to hold as being forbidden okay imam ibn al-qudama uh, he said that the exception is that if the relatives of this family are coming from afar and they're going to stay with the family for some time this then here is an exception that of course it's from the customs and the norms that family takes care of family so then in this situation food can be made for the relatives that come to visit and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best uh, any shortcomings and mistakes were for myself and shaitan anything which was correct was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if you have any questions on what we took then feel free and inshallah the next lesson by Allah's permission will be uh, a finalization of uh, this 
uh, chapter, the chapter of Janais. And then, inshallah, we will move on after a break to doing the fiqh of zakat, bi'idhnillah ta'ala.